Manor. Hello, welcome to Tip Manor Podcast. We've had a few weeks to digest our exit from the playoffs, but we're back for our final pod of the season. Who is on today? There's lots of J's in people's names on today. So you've got me, I'm James. We've got John. John, how are you doing? Have you got any hangovers from the, the Blackpool game? Are you, or are you feeling good? I'm feeling pretty good, actually. Looking forward to some Oxford chat. I think after the first leg, you know, if you can't do expectation management for the playoffs after the first leg, <laughs> then, um, you know, it's kind of you're getting it a bit wrong. But no, nothing like the Wickham one. I was kind of... We can. I don't think we need to massively dissect it, but you know, I, I don't think it was too disappointing based on those two games for me. No, but but you know, so it's good to be there, wasn't it? I think most Oxford fans uh, generally all saying the same thing, and it was nice to see Blackpool go on. To be honest, and actually get the job done, I think everyone was quite happy with that. Um, Jack, you've been a busy man. It's been hard to tie you down to a to a day to get a pod done. You've been so busy. You've been following England around, haven't you? Yeah, um, so I went to the Austria game last week, so it was nice to be back in the stadium and actually see some people in the stadium and get a little bit of atmosphere, so that was quite nice. Um, so yeah, that kind of blew away any Blackpool cobwebs as well, because it kind of moved moved it along a little bit. I mean, the game was mind-numbing, but... Oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not really too sure even who scored, because we were just chatting, basically, but it was, you know, being inside the stadium was quite nice. Nice. Okay. And... Um... In true kind of customary Tip Manor fashion, we've got a special guest on. So we've got the Oxford Mail's senior sports reporter, James Roberts. Hello, James. Hello. I like that you call me senior when there's only uh, one of us on the sports desk. That's all <laughs> like that you put that in. <laughs> I mean, that's not me though, is it? That's that's The Oxford Mail have done that for you. It's Maybe you could have like principal consultant sports reporter or something chief. like that. Chief. You've got to chief. Be chief, yeah. Chief sports writer and sports editor, I guess. <laughs> Nice. Um, how, how's life for you? Are you keeping busy during the off season? I always feel like you're probably writing articles about gardening at this stage. Or, God, to be fair, it would fill some more pages for me. Um, <laughs> I, um, yeah, it, it, it's a weird time because this season was so ridiculously, uh, you know, busy. Saturday, Tuesday, obviously, and then it just very quickly went, obviously, to nothing. Um, I've had a nice week off. Just come back from that. Um, and then, as I was saying before this, being a bit of a part-timer and being off again in a few days. But, um, yeah, it's it's been quite a nice change of pace. You know, you get the odd transfer story and things going on behind the scenes that you can kind of work on. But it's a lot less manic than uh, when you're sort of going up to Rochdale on a Tuesday night and then to Burton yeah. on a Saturday or something like that. God, yeah. Were you just, so I might forget to ask you later, when you do hop across to Rochdale on a Tuesday. Were you doing what Mr. Pritchard was doing and hopping in the same car as people? I guess it's always been during COVID though, hasn't it? So we, I, I did originally, it was quite funny. The first game I did um, when I got the job full time was Wigan away in November. Um, and I went with Jerome and Nathan then, but I think it was almost immediately after that, that kind of everything sort of closed up. And uh, I think the next time I went with them was maybe, might even have been Shrewsbury, you know, uh, the uh, the three two obviously on the penultimate oh, game. Oh, not bad. I've been completely uh, going up and down the country in my own in my little VW Polo, which is going to give up very soon, I'm sure. But, <laughs> is it a uh, nice colour? So I'm nice picturing green. salmon pink. Oh, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> 
I think back in the day when it was made, whenever it was like 2000, I don't think they did salmon pink car. I um my first car was a one liter Vauxhall Corsa, and I left it. I, I got it when I was at Leeds Uni, and I went back to Oxford for the summer. And when I came back, I just left it sat in the sun, and it had turned a nice pink color. <laughs> I, I just I just you know rocked it. I felt you know kind of built on my reputation in Leeds. It was, it was great. Yeah, <laughs> made you made you the man you are today. Exactly. Yeah, character building. Um. Anyway, lots to get through today. So we're going to kind of do a season wrap up where we'll talk through our own kind of highlights and lowlights of the season, um, talk about the squad and transfers, ingoings, outgoings, uh, look ahead to next next season, which is looking pretty terrifying. I was on the, um, wasn't it the game show thing? And when I was like prepping for that, I actually just took some time and looked at the league and was just like, you can draw up the top 12 and the whole of the, like the top half of the table are all teams you wouldn't be that surprised that if they were going to pushing the top six which is mental so we'll talk about that um and we'll touch on the euros i'm starting to get excited i've got a wall chart um so yeah we'll hopefully have some time to talk about that um but james again it's you know customary that we when we have a guest on we ask a bit more questions to kind of build up build up a profile of you so the listeners get to know you a bit better um and you kind of touched on one where you said what your first game was, but we'll get to that in a second. Are you or are you not an Oxford fan as a starting point? I'm pleased to say I am an Oxford United fan, yes. Get in. <laughs> Back of the net. I Yes, I, uh, I I mean, I'm from sort of near Digcott, a village called Harwell. Um, so obviously Oxford has been my local team sort of throughout my life. Um, but yeah, I going to games sort of regularly I was going semi-regularly from about the age of about six or seven but sort of started picking it up when I could drive uh nice aforementioned polo um <laughs> so uh but yeah no an Oxford fan so obviously it is it is an incredible privilege to do the job I do uh, even if it's sometimes when there are moments when it when it doesn't feel like it, I, it it's very much sort of the biggest privilege what have the vibes in Didcot been like since the towers went down? Was there, was there some weird rituals going on when they when they fell down? Honestly, I mean, I'm still gutted that I missed the day that they blew them up. I think I was. It was a year. It was while. It was a while ago. I think. I think it was on. I think it was on my sort of end of year thirteen lads holiday um, or something like that. And um, <laughs> I made my parents send me videos of the of the towers going down because uh, it was such an event. Um, but uh, yeah, obviously, Didcot, that and the railway is pretty much uh, all people know about. I don't. That think... was all that's on the postcards. Exactly. From the, the, the tourist shops in Didcot. Yeah, it's a shame. Um, you mentioned yeah, you mentioned going to school with Jack Stevens at one point, didn't you? Or he was in the year below. So I was trying to pit, piece it together because um, I think we were having a, a conversation between ourselves whether he was local or whether we got him from somewhere else. But he's he's a local lad as well, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. So I actually went to school just over the border in West Berkshire. Um, Boo. And he, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he was, uh, yeah, he was in the year below me. I think actually when we started, so obviously when I was year seven, year eight, and he came in, I think he was still at Chelsea then and then might have just left. But yeah, I, d- I do remember him being the best footballer in the school, you know, obviously. Outfield as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I remember. I weirdly, I don't know why I remember this, and I hope he never listens to this because uh, it'll be weird. <laughs> He'll think it's weird that I remember this, but I just remember one one of those massive games where you've got sort of 150, 200 kids playing football on the school field, 
I just remember him like hitting a volley so sweetly and I was literally sort of mouth open like <laughs> how can you kick a ball like that <laughs> amazing um, he was a he was a keeper kind of when playing properly but he kind of rolled around because he was that good um generally basically he could do it all <laughs> we had a guy called Josh Mulvaney at Charwell who was the year below and he was in the Southampton youth team with Walcott Gareth Bale and other there was a few others actually that I've lost lost track of but yeah it was nuts seeing him just play and then go off and do that but he didn't quite cut it I think he went to Oxford City at one point but he didn't quite make it um so how did how did you get into journalism then James and then how did the Oxford Mail come about um it's quite it's a bit of a funny story this actually uh, I, I was um I'd always kind of growing up read newspapers weirdly like we always had them in our house um never really thought about being a sports journalist or any sort of journalist really um and then in my first year of uni um it got to about easter time and and my mum sat me down and said um you've got nothing to show for your time at uni so far you need you know you need something on your cv you need to you know have a way of standing out so that when you leave obviously you'll you'll have job prospects and all that um and I thought, well, I, I love sport, um, all sport really, not just football. Um, and I like writing. I did history at uni. Um, so I thought I'd join the student paper, um, started writing, sort of progressed up through that um, to sort of sports editor in my final year. Um, then left and did a journalism master's. And, and as part of that, uh, we had to do a, a day a week uh, on placement um, because the master's was in London. I didn't really have enough money to live in London I was commuting so four days a week it was a bit of a nightmare but obviously on the Friday where we did our placement I thought well I'll I'll write to the Oxford Mail and see if um see if they've got a space for me um luckily they did helped out on the sports desk so that was when Mark Edwards was there as, as mm-hmm. well as Dave obviously um and yeah I just got very lucky really because um I was sort of helping out there and then about two months, I think, before my course ended, uh, a job came up as a news reporter. Um, I thought I'd go for it because I'd enjoyed it, uh, lucky enough to get it, and then um, sort of really bided my time on news until a job on sport came up, and then uh, it did get taken away from me by the pandemic, and I was furloughed and put back on news, but then, I was going to say, finally, I was about to say, when, finally, when Dave left, but I didn't don't mean that <laughs> at all. Uh, <laughs> it's out now, it's out. <laughs> Dave, Dave left, um, yeah, obviously last November, and he gave me a call and said, uh, "Yeah, look, I'm off, and um, I, I've recommended that, that you're kind of the one to sort of take over for me because obviously by then it was a one-person sports desk." Yeah, uh, and obviously it was, you know, I was never going to say no to that, and uh, yeah, here I am, sort of six, seven months later. Um, yeah, probably I've probably aged a bit more than I should have been <laughs> the last six months, but uh, it's no, it's been incredible. Nice. Don't, for me, Mr. Pritchard is still clinging on. Like he can't quite let go, can he? Um, I, I love the fact that he's so into it. Because, yeah. Partly because as well, I think, number one, it's the fact that he wasn't an Oxford fan when he joined. He had no, you know, I know, I know he's... He's a massive Oxford. Gillingham fan, I think. Oh, well, he's a Gillingham <laughs> fan. Up the Gills. He loved going to Priestfield. Uh, but um, yeah, he, uh, he obviously got bitten by the Oxford United bug. And I think... I love that because, uh, you know, we all know that it's a it's a great club, and um, you know it shows that him covering it for nine years 
didn't sort of turn him away. It, it just endeared the club to him. So, I, you know, I think that's great. I think it's important they keep dragging him into wasn't at the game and other things because what I'd be interested to see is if um, hope it doesn't happen but KR moves on somewhere and potentially there's a turnaround in people at the club does that then mean people like Dave then move away so you've got to keep him invested at some level I hope they do (laughs) Um, so you mentioned your first game covering Oxford did you say sorry it was Wigan well weirdly so my first, uh, my, my first game covering Oxford, it, it was all a bit surreal because um, I, I first got a job on the sports desk in September 2019. Um, happened to be starting on a week Dave was off, and that week happened to be when we played. We they I shouldn't say we they played West Ham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They played West Ham in in the in the uh, Carabao, and so I was sort of on my third day thrust into kind of. Uh, you know, obviously it was 10,000 or so at the Kassam and, and obviously watched an incredible second half before. Yeah, you're expecting like to write up a Mark Noble penalty seals it for West Ham. When I was thinking Jack, Jack Wilshire masterclass or something like that, <laughs> you know. Well, <laughs> then again, I shouldn't have been too hopeful of that. But um, no, it was just a, um, it was it was a ridiculous week that actually, because it was kind of, I've actually still got the, the back page from that day sort of framed um because first of all it, not just because of it's my sort of name on it but I think it's a great back page because it's uh it's obviously West Ham so there's a big screaming headline that says hammered with a picture oh, strong, of strong of course wheeling away after his wonder girl and I just it was the most ridiculous start um did a sort of half a dozen games I guess until doing it full time but yeah it was only really when Dave was away that I was kind of drafted in so I've got to ask you, when it comes to the touchline questions and obviously getting closer, I guess going from being a fan at a distance to then covering the club, maybe alongside Dave for a period of time and stepping in every now and then, to then being the guy who needs to stand pitch side alongside, you know, the the other Oxford media, you know, Jerome and or Nathan pitch side or whatever, and then having having to ask some pretty challenging questions to a man like Carl Robinson is that you know is that I guess that's character building in itself isn't it yeah I mean to be honest I I am my own biggest critic and I would say that at the start I wasn't good enough at doing that and I think I was maybe too much of a maybe too much thinking about not too much thinking from the fans perspective but you know thinking I wasn't being completely objective and and thinking right what are the things that I need to sort of pull out you know what wasn't good enough here and um I think I have got better at that uh but it it definitely was difficult at the start because you know for the first few games I did not not so much when I took it full time but definitely the few games I did on and off uh when Dave was still there um I I fully accept that I was a little bit starstruck to be honest you know when you you haven't done that um at all and then you know, you're going down to the touchline after beating West Ham and interviewing Carl Robinson, Matty Taylor. I can't remember who else it would have been. Shandon, probably. You know, you you do you are a bit like pinching yourself. This is ridiculous. What am I doing here? So um, <laughs> I, I have I have luckily I think I've got that objective mindset a bit more now. But um, yeah, it, it was tough at the start because uh, I just wasn't. I knew I could. I knew that. I was helped by them going on the winning run pretty much as soon as I 
got involved. But uh, as soon as the results went a bit south, I was like, right, I need to actually start pulling my finger out and asking the proper questions here. So that had the, what was the KR question you asked when he just gave you a look of, why have you asked me that? Were there anything, anyone's like that? Well, there's one that I can definitely remember, which was, I thought I was completely fair. So it was after the Accrington game, um, the 2-1 defeat, when obviously it looked like that was the last chance the playoffs gone. And I kind of said something like, I think in that game, didn't he make a load of substitutions, sort of top-heavy substitutions? And, and I thought they lost their shape completely. And I said to him, I said, do you think... Uh, I, basically, it was that question. Do you think you lost your shape with the substitutions or something like that? And he kind of he did sort of stare. He sort of just went no. And then I said, "Well, I, th- I think I elaborated on it." And I said, "Do you think that's a fair point?" And he was like, "Well, you can think that, but I don't think it's a fair point." And just moved on. And it, I think I didn't mind that because I thought I was asking asking a completely legitimate and fair question. I think I would if I if I realised if I'd said something like you must be unhappy with losing a home game or something like that is my question. Then, then obviously I would have been like, Oh, you know, but I had no problem with him kind of biting back because I knew it was a question he probably didn't want to answer. He, he does that, I suppose, actually about tactics. He sort of doesn't like those kind of questions. Actually. Now you, now you mention it, I suppose in this season being so different with COVID, have you been able to kind of interact with the players kind of, because if you'd been doing this, a job normally all season we'd be asking questions like which players are absolutely weird in interviews who stared at you and <laughs> given you like robot answers you know what have you seen in the tunnel what was the aggro all those sorts of questions but have you been able to, to do that and has, has there been any of those kind of moments or is it or you've been very sterilized this season yeah well we we were saying actually um uh, me and chris williams the other day that um it's been quite difficult because i'm obviously still very much a new face, I guess, to a lot of the, the players. Maybe not Carl, because, you know, with so many games, I'm speaking to him, or I will speak to him four or five times a week at least. Um, but yeah, you, you're not going to the training ground for your press conferences pre-match. So you don't, not only do you not meet the players, you don't meet the, you know, you, you don't say hello to the academy staff or the uh, the fitness, the, the, the sports science team, you know, and build up a sort of rapport with them. The players are kind of the same because, you know, you, you get them, you know, if you're talking about someone like, I don't know, Matty Taylor, for example, probably get him after a game maybe once every three or four weeks um, and then maybe the same amount in a in a pre-match. And it's kind of, you don't sort of build up that relationship. And there are still definitely players that, have, that I, I do prefer interviewing and ones that I don't, which obviously I won't say. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't. I it's been a bit frustrating not to be able to sort of have that real insight into them as people as well as them as just footballers. Yeah, did it? I swear, Dave managed to get on a few preseason things, didn't he? And then just busted out his shirt and tie, and then sat on the the grass with his little laptop in the shade under some makeshift brolly or something. I was I just that the um, the, uh, the Spain trip, while it obviously looks a bit more likely to go ahead you know, there's absolutely no chance of media going on that because I would have jumped at the chance. I hope I would have got it as on expenses and gone gone as it with it yeah. didn't work. But um I'm hoping there'll be something like that in the future because uh it would be 
I, th- I think that's part of it, isn't it? When you're a club reporter and you, you're doing it, you know, especially like Oxford United with the Oxford Mail, where it's really a one club county and a one, it's almost like a one sport county because of the uh, the lack of sort of, there isn't a top level rugby team, cricket team, for example. Yeah. It's about that whole package, I think, not just the, uh, not just the football. I think it is that trust, isn't it? I know other guys that have been on the pod have talked about that before. Like you need the opportunity to build the trust with the squad, the management, the coaching stuff, whatever. And then gradually you get more insight and you know what you can share and what you can't share. And then you're, yeah, you're subject to more information. So I guess that will build out over time, won't it? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think next season, if next season's all back to normal, I'm hoping it will be a bit more of a, a normal football reporter experience. Jack, I can't work out if you're envious given, as James was talking through his um, student paper, uh, then, you know, was the sports editor. I I was just thinking, someone's told me this story before and it was definitely you. (laughs) Have you got any other questions you'd like to ask? Yeah, cheers for bringing that up, mate. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, I just, I I just think it's one of those, how did you find the kind of transition from placement into full-time and then obviously from you said you were on news for a bit as well and that slide into sport how how different is each kind of experience coming through I mean it's good because when you when you've got the sort of bases and you've got the sort of base level and you do your I did did an NCTJ so you're kind of you know base level journalism qualification um you've kind of got sort of the raw materials I guess um so it was kind of going from sport to news full-time was a bigger jump than going from full-time, sorry, work experience sport to news full-time was a bigger jump than going from news full-time to back to sport full-time because by then I'd, I'd built this type of experience and things like that. I mean, it it is quite different, sports reporting and news reporting. I think news, news reporters tend to think that sports reporters are a bit, you know, cliche-ridden and, and lazy and I think with the cliches, that's probably true with me. They definitely creep in a lot more often than I'd like. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think once you've got the sort of the base skills, it's fairly, and, and the knowledge is very important because I, I don't think any of the reporters at the Oxford Mail who weren't into football would be able to do my job, even for a day, because you just need the, you know, the background and things yeah. like that. So um I think that's it. It's it's the base skills and the knowledge. Once you've got them, you're, you're sort of set. Nice. Right. Um, last couple of questions back on being a fan before we move into the kind of season wrap-up territory. Um, do you remember your first game as a kid? Is there a particular like era that resonates most with you as a, as a fan um, or a most memorable match, perhaps? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I could answer most of those I've got um I think my first game I know I went to two games in the 0203 season and I can't remember I know that one of them was Shrewsbury and I think it was a 2-2 draw I cannot remember the other one um I I also have a I, that era is kind of I quite like the the Chris Hackett Tommy Mooney um <laughs> just because yeah. I was also I was actually a mascot um uh Obviously not Ollie the Ox, but you know the kid. That there. <laughs> it's Connor's dad. <laughs> Is that actually true? Yeah, <laughs> really. Genuinely, I always thought that was just a joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but yeah, I, I was a mascot actually against Swansea uh, when they were in, in League Two back in about 2004. Roberto Martinez was Swansea captain and so I ran out alongside <laughs> alongside him and I think, who would it have been? Wanless maybe, I think. Um, but anyway, yeah, so so that era is a bit of a, uh, a special sort of, yeah, I, I sort of look back on that fondly. But I think when I started going regularly, which was kind of, basically right at the end of Wilder, start of Appleton, um, from then on is kind of, I think, where I have the best memories just because I was going a lot more regularly. And yeah. my favourite game is undoubtedly, undoubtedly, sorry, the um, 3-2 win at Charlton in 2018. Nice. That was just yeah. an incredible, incredible day, incredible game. Uh, and yeah, one of my favourite feelings I've ever had at a football match. There's the best video. The guy, what's his name, Ellis, who does the away days videos. Um, his he was at that, wasn't he, in the Oxford end? And he's just surrounded by some of those familiar faces that you always see at away games that are just mental. And mm. it's just so glorious. Watch. Well, I think I shared that, didn't I, the other day <laughs> on like one of our WhatsApps? Because um, like every month, I'll just rotate through nice fan-based footage of games just to remind us what it's like to be there but yeah that's a great shout um right season wrap-up time then so i'm just gonna rattle through some summary based information chaps and then what I, what would be good to do is if we can get some highlights from everyone so favorite matches um particular performances um, or players that you've been mega impressed with. I think we know quite a lot about which people are going to stand out there. But I think we need to touch on kind of biggest disappointments or most significant moments as well. There's been a lot said about, you know, the Swindon game being the turning point. Um, I don't want to talk too much about that, but yeah. Um, in terms of the good though, let's rattle through this. Feel free to interrupt me if you've got anything to say, but 74 points, second consecutive top six finish. We scored 77 league goals technically 80 if you include the playoffs which doesn't really count but that was the third best in the league only bettered by harlan peterborough i'm just gonna say yeah i think so james is nodding um (laughs) broke a record for consecutive wins equaled our record away win as well so i didn't i don't think any of us thought we'd get better than lincoln um which i guess we didn't but i didn't think we'd be doing that in consecutive seasons and also, do you know what, Mr. Roberts, I task you with working out the last time we came back from losing positions to win games. Like, I cannot, I, I refuse to believe that we've we've done it as much as we've done this season, especially three twos. We love a three two at the moment. Uh, the last couple of, well, the last six, seven weeks of the season, it felt like it was every week, wasn't it? And and actually, weirdly, I think it was only, was it only Shrewsbury and... I think it was only Shrewsbury, wasn't it, in that the, the end of the season? But it felt like that at that period, if if Oxford were conceded, they'd just go up the other end and score straight away. Yeah, it's bizarre. Um, and also, there's definitely got to be something said about the defensive line and their contribution going forward. There was lots of images, you know, thrown around on Twitter, and it seems to be a weekly thing that those images were updated because there were more assists and more goals coming from the back four, which is just crazy. Anything anyone else wants to add into the summary mix of positives? No? I think we've seen players we didn't expect um, develop a lot over one season. So Sam Long obviously sticks out. Uh, I think Elliot Moore's matured probably a lot quicker than we expected him. 
um, from where he came in last season. Atkinson for his first season in proper professional football. Um, and even even someone like Brannigan, to be honest, having practically almost you know gone within a whisper of losing his sight, packing his career, forgetting everything he's ever known, to show, especially the last four or five games, playing in a different role, to show the maturity and the, the class, really. Um, so that, that's been, I hate the word nice, but it's been nice to see that we've had four or five players develop so much over one season, because that doesn't always happen. Yeah. John, what do you reckon about the back line in general? So we went 13 games without a clean sheet and actually it carried over from last season so it was a longer stretch but there were 13 league games without clean sheet at the beginning of the season um the first one being after Stevens came in for the nil nil at home to Ipswich which was the game after the yeah the Swindon defeat at home sorry to bring it up again but how do you think the kind of back line has matured and where do you think they're at do you think um Moore and Atkinson have really got that relationship going now I think they they absolutely have, and but it took a really long time for some of these things to to click. And I, I know we were having we had challenges with Sam Long having to play across different positions, the Ruffles injury, Sean Clare being Sean Clare for a period of a few games, <laughs> um, which sort of left us in an unsettled position. Um, I think the last point you made around the positives lends to another one. So you know they scored a ridiculous number of goals and assists. And if you think about who was the contenders for the player of the season, there was basically nobody really further up, further up in the pitch. My, yeah, you know, yeah. my, other, my, my other positives were going to be, there were some nice spells from players that I think we forgot. We forgot like Shadipo, I think towards the end of the season, his credit levels were pretty low. But actually there were some brilliant moments where we were like, you know, shodders, shodders this, shodders <laughs> that. Um, Henry didn't have a great season overall. But he was the catalyst to get us in the playoffs, probably. Um, Anthony Ford, my one of my many loves, you know, he had some spell <laughs> where you put in crosses that were just sort of orgasmic. You know, I remember when you put that clip you on were drawing, uh, social media. It was, it was actually a bit disturbing for the rest yeah, of us, to be honest. It, ex- exactly. So, and even McGuane, you know, before he got injured, he, he we'd found his position and he was coming through. So, I think all in all, it's just you know, it's moving into the bad, I suppose. But it's just the inconsistency of the of the defence really um because there were too many games where they got carved open pretty easily and still did at times towards the end of the season yeah james what do you think about that kind of consistent it seemed like a very kind of patchy season and like runs or spells were very much a thing um and that seems to be a fee match there over the last few years doesn't it well literally i think i wrote something a few months ago that basically said that is Carl Robinson's time at United in a nutshell. You think about the season where until March, it, it, relegation looked a, a genuine worry and then suddenly they go and win something like seven of the last nine or whatever it was. And, and I think that was it. You know, this season was overall, I think, good. I, I don't think you can call a season where you get in the League One playoffs, you know, a bad season at all. But it's just so frustrating that, there were those two runs at the start of the, the season, which was obviously ended up being the killer in terms of, you know, challenging any higher than, than just getting in the playoffs. And and that sort of February, March time where, where, to be honest, injuries were hitting and the fixture list wasn't kind. But it just seemed like, and, and actually this was something that Carl, I know, hated us bringing up, but it, it was the record against the big, the big boys, the top six, because yeah. it seemed like that 
again, especially if you just look at the Blackpool games, the, the one in March was really quite poor. And then they obviously come to the Kassam two months later for the for the first leg of the playoff semi-final and kind of do a similar job, really. It, it, it was just that not, not learning, really. I saw some... Um, were you surprised that KR in the interview we gave on Saturday effectively said, in my interpretation, was that we weren't that great this season and we were a few bits short. And he seemed to kind of, having spent all season, which you'd expect him to, kind of putting up a, a strong strong sort of face, kind of seemed to admit quite openly that actually we weren't quite there this season for some of those reasons. Yeah, I think... I think a lot of what he said this season was actually we're not as good as last season. Uh, there was a lot of, you know, pining over Marcus Brown and, and you know, I think he he obviously was, was talking up and, and and when they got in a run, you know, they were they were quite hard to beat. But I think I think a lot of what he said this season was basically, you know, this is not a team that I don't think he almost expected Oxford to get into the playoffs again. So I think he kind of feels he can say that now because he's got the, the credit of having done it. And and even in the, the second leg of the Blackpool game, you kind of, everyone was, was sort of, well, this is over. And then fighting that well in the second leg and, and you know, scoring three, obviously conceding three as well. That almost kind of it was almost like all is forgiven, weirdly, which which I thought was a bit strange when you sort of concede six goals in a playoff semi final. But I I think that was actually a lot of what he was saying this season. But trying to dress it up in a Carl Robinson, I'm going to be really optimistic and really you know <laughs> try and because because he is good at doing that. It, you know you can't lie. <laughs> yeah, Jack, do you reckon um, we'll start next season really well? Isn't it like known as the Dave Pritchard curse or something like that, where he said we always start well and then it is. He said, um, he, I think he said to Carl in his first pre-season, uh, "Oh, you're known for starting well at your previous clubs," and obviously <laughs> hasn't quite worked out that way. <laughs> so this, we've had three seasons of it, haven't we? I'm just, I was just looking back because I, I took some notes on it before. Last season wasn't actually too bad. After like game week seven, we kind of kicked into gear. We'd only won one in seven. The season before, we'd won one in eleven. Yeah, wasn't that the the season with the Barnsley four nil? Carruthers did his ace, whatever, and yeah, yeah, it was one thing after another. Well, you would think that we might start at least a bit better, like one point better, maybe. Um, I mean. We, we've alluded to it already about how many of the the big, bigger clubs are in and around it. It would uh, be quite nice to get some of them out the way early, I'd say, as much as that would probably lead to a poor start. I'd quite like to get them out the way before before they're motoring and had the chance to gel. Because it looks like Sunderland, Charlton are probably signing basically an entire new squad, judging by um, various bits and pieces, Ipswich as well. So... As much as I always say it doesn't matter, I think the fixture list is massive for next season, given the number of teams that are going to be in amongst it. Yeah, for sure. Um, in terms of like favourite moments, matches, whatever, John, do you want to start us off? Like, what was your most kind of your happy? What's your happy place when you think back to this season? Plymouth away, definitely for me. I know it's possibly yours, and I've stolen it, but you let me first. <laughs> so, um. Yeah, that, that for me was a game where, footballing-wise, 
I remember there'd been this debate week after week about the press and the different and some of the different tactical elements that we were or weren't really completing. And it was just a game where we suddenly decided actually we'll adapt our game against a team that was playing quite nice and tidy football and had scored and it looked like we were going downhill and we actually mixed it up and started to play a little bit more direct in inverted commas, but not sort of hoofball, but kind of just playing into channels and found a way to make it work. And also it was obviously a great comeback. You had the Sam Long goal. And I think you and me said exactly the same thing, James Robinson, <laughs> that after watching a lot of the games before, and yes, we were losing them, it was one where we both felt genuinely like excited about football again in an eye follow world. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was, it was that one. And, you know, I've got, I've got others that in for the season, I favor it in a different way, but that's the one I kind of look back on and sort of think that was a really just good all round. And, and then Sam Long becoming Cafu was just, I think, nice, I think nice that was it. Was That was the emergence of Sam Long from that point where he just took the game, you know, he just picked the ball up in his own half and just looked at two players next to him and was like, right, do you know what? Sod this. I'm off. And then, you know, the rest is history. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. I thought it was a massive... I, li- I like what you said at the end as well about that being kind of a turning point for being able to enjoy football in the new world that we live in. So, yeah, that's a great point. So, as, um, Jay- as, I, as I stole your one, what's your second one? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rochdale, I think. Um, that was just an absolute... I've stolen someone else's, haven't I? But that was just such a mental back-and-forth game. And I was actually really disappointed they went down because... I loved the craziness of their football and I was, I was actually really surprised because I thought they played some really good um, football in the, the final third as well. But I just could not see a way in which that game wasn't going to end in a way that we weren't really frustrated or disappointed because it just was back and forth and then we just couldn't seem to get any control in it. Um, James, what, <laughs> I know it looks like that was yours, but we I think we recorded our reaction to the Shadipo goal um, when we were watching it on iFollow. So I like that we've kind of immortalised that in a way um, on the internet so we can always remind ourselves as, as to how that actually felt. Um, and everyone's seen my pyjamas um, as a result of that as well. Um, James, was that yours as well? Yeah, it was, for, for all the reasons you've said, other than your pyjamas. Um, <laughs> it was a, uh, yeah, it was just a crazy game. I think if I'm not picking, and Plymouth was quite would have been quite high up the list as well, it's going to be a cliche, but the, the Swindon away, because, you know, I'd never sort of covered a game, obviously, there. Um, and it was a time where, you know, the form wasn't great. And I think, we, you know, it was clear to see Oxford were the better team were, were from the start, and obviously the, the Barker goal helped. Was that but, pitch as bad as it looked at, like, your yeah. level? Well, they were they were sanding it and doing. I, I in fact, I remember Carl before we do our sort of um, you know pre match where he sort of tells us the team news and stuff like that. He did a whole. He he walked the whole byline uh, in front of the Stratton Bank, basically just looking in complete disgust about just how bad the sort of surface was. And he he kind of stopped at the corner flag where Dan Adji celebrated. And was just looking down. He was basically like, "Where is it? Where's the pitch?" Because it was. Just bad. <laughs> um, so it, it wasn't great, um, but yeah, that I mean, that Swindon game was, it, it, in in some ways, it was exactly what you want from a derby, other than 
lack of fans really because you know you kind of had the Oxford on top and should have been uh, should have been probably out of sight like in the, the other Swindon game that we don't talk about um, and then obviously Pittman with the Pittman penalty you've got the, the Jack Stevens God, penalty heroic forgot about that yeah, well, yeah. and obviously it was the second one in four days as well after the um, the Charlton one. Yeah, um, and then obviously Adji comes off, and, and you know, he kind of that was about the time where he was starting to show glimpses, wasn't he, of of, of getting that consistency. And again, just that moment, it it was. It's really hard to describe how it feels to see the goals go in in the ground when there's no fans there, but that was genuinely one of those moments where. For a second, you almost forgot there were there were no fans there because it was such a a wow moment. Him coming off the bench and then just planting it in the bottom corner. How how do you react in that moment? So normally, the rule in the press box is uh, you know you're completely level headed and, and and you know no reaction to anything, however crazy it is. That that game, it was quite funny because there was uh, three. Swindon reporter, so my colleague and who does who does the Swindon advertiser and, and a couple of others, and then it was myself, Chris and Martin Bradetsky. And I think we all just, without even thinking, just kind of went, Come on. <laughs> you know, it, it was the first Sod time this, really, come on. <laughs> it was a bit of a you know, you we couldn't celebrate, but it was a goal against Swindon, you know, and it, and a and a good one at that. So you kind of couldn't hold it in completely. So uh that that moment, and then just when the final whistle went, kind of thinking that relief really because it, it did end up being a little bit too close for comfort. Yeah, God, I was just I was just looking back, and you're right. We were we'd obviously been on our massive run, um, winning run. Then we had the game at Doncaster that we'll probably talk about. Um, but then you're right, we didn't win in five games: four draws, one defeat at home in Portsmouth going into that Swindon game so it was it was bigger than just playing our rivals wasn't it it was um it was, it was a significant match but yeah Jack what about what about you um well if Nick's Rochdale but I'm going to cheat a little bit and say my favorite week of the season Rochdale was the filling in the sandwich so the Saturday before we'd beaten Bristol Rovers and we never beat Bristol Rovers and then the Saturday following we beat Fleetwood and we never beat Fleetwood and at that time, that's where I thought, right, this team's going to go on a bit of a run here. And as you just mentioned, it soon came to um, a halt again at Doncaster. And then I was like, oh, we're not good enough for the playoffs. So that that week almost summed up the season in that we had lots of these kind of records being broken and all these kind of hoodoos being smashed. Um, but equally, we, I think everyone got a little bit carried away and then it kind of came back down the roller coaster again, then back up with the Swindon victory. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll cheat a bit and say that my favourite week of the season were those three victories. It, that Doncaster game was quite significant, wasn't it? Because it was we played a load of teams, obviously in the bottom half, or teams that were kind of struggling, and everyone that was where the thing came up that we mentioned earlier that can we do it against top six sides? And that was just pay. Do you remember it was in the, all the pre-match was about Doncaster at the time they were pushing, weren't they? They were right at the top. It was the um, top two in the form table, I think, at the time, wasn't it? Yeah. And how how was that covering that game, James? Because we played unbelievably. I remember the first 20 minutes being like, oh my, this is like Barcelona. Elliot Lear just rocked up and started, you know, doing whatever he wanted. Just he had endless space around him and it just looked like we were amazing. Then they counted us a few times and we were kind of out of it. 
it was such a it was a really good game to cover in the sense that it was such high quality because you had you know Oxford with the majority of possession as they tend to do um Barker and Lee had obviously come in making their debut and debuts and you know I think Barker had Brad Halliday absolutely on toast because he just ran him that's all that you know when when you're when you've got that much speed that's all you need to do and I remember thinking Elliot Lee was playing sort of right in front of sort of where I was sitting in that first half and I thought you know I sort of thought he was going to be a, a decent player and the way he was kind of dovetailing with Henry I was just I was sort of thinking what you know yeah we they were like on it? each other's wavelength type thing right mm. And then Doncaster themselves were, to be fair to them, absolutely ruthless. Their first goal that day, I think, was their first chance and just split open the defence and, and cut inside and score. For me, yeah. that Doncaster game was, I wouldn't say it was favourite in any way, but it, it was significant because, to me, I thought Doncaster that Doncaster team was the benchmark for what Oxford need to try and be. There were so many bits in their game that, we should be trying to do. They they moved the ball quickly through the lines. They sort of broke quickly. There was they were an all round team. They didn't have we had much better players, but if we played in their kind of system and way, we we could be something quite special. So and I think um, I think Eddie um, on Radio Oxford made a similar point, and I very much agreed with him that it, it was actually in terms of a style point and a development point as a team that I hope we kind of look back to that game because I think there was a lot in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, were there any other kind of significant moments that stu- stood out for people? I suppose the other, you can't look past the 3-2 wins as well and the comebacks and the the Gillingham one was particularly mental, wasn't it? Because they went 2-0 up, Robbie Cundy scored in like the 70-whatever, 73rd minute or something. And that, you know, we'd all just given up on the season at that point only for Sam Long to, to pop back up with a couple of goals. And that was just... It has been a roller coaster of the season of the season. I think everyone was kind of thankful for it to conclude so we can all have a rest in a way, because it was just pulling on the heartstrings a bit too much. But um anything else stand out to anyone particularly before we go on to the squad and transfers or I think there's Cruz and another one. I think controversially, I don't think the Swindon game was that much of a turning point. I just think it was a rock bottom moment. And then if you look at the games we were going into, those were the games I imagine they looked ahead and thought that this is where we should start picking up points. Um, but that's just to throw a random comment into the mix. Yeah. Jack? I was just going to mention um, the Hull game away where we were to get beat 2-0, didn't we? But we had a couple of chances early on. Um, I, th- I think that probably had quite a big bearing on our approach out the back of that game because we suddenly realised, hold on a minute, we're way below the level required to be properly pushing. Let's kind of dig in a little bit. And I think we we that Tuesday night following was a 3-0 um, batter in a Doncaster where we had the game sewn up at half-time. Um, then we had the dodgy Blackpool and Northampton games, which were just disappointing because we, you know, we just whimpered out of them. And then we had the Lincoln game. But I actually think it was a bit of learning from the whole game in all four of those, both good and bad. Um, so I think that that whole game probably came at a good time. It was just after the Swindon high and it kind of brought us back down to earth a little bit. Yeah. As, like I said before, there's many blocks of four or five across the season which were so up and down. And that's probably 
you know, at the end of the day, we did scrape in the playoffs on goal difference, and that's probably be probably about what we deserved. Yeah, that Hull away game, first 10 minutes, we looked unbelievable. I remember we Adji broke through and then cr- crossed for Elliot Lee at what, really early on. And there was a few moments I was like, oh my God, we look brilliant. But they had, it seemed like just it was quality. What's that lad called for them who scored? Oh, Lewis Potter. Lewis Potter, yeah. He, he just looked a different class, didn't he? And he was, I think Ford was playing down the right. And then um, <laughs> he just, yeah, made him look abject. Um, sorry, John, if that upsets you, but... No, it's forward, forward going forward is uh, is where my uh, heart lies. <laughs> um, James, you were going to add something? I, I It was just going to be the crew one, really. Um, obviously, I'm sure it's all been said before, but it, it, it was, you know, it had been a long period of not really being able to sort of turn it on with any sort of consistency. Uh, that really ended at the start of February when, when the winning run ended and it it was a strange game, wasn't it? Because I think until Ruffles scored after I think what it was about thirty seventh minute or something like that, it it wasn't a great game. Sykes had the one chance that he should have scored. They had a couple, yeah. and I almost think it was just that absolute that sort of glut of goals that all came at once. That was almost the uh, I I don't I don't want to call it a turning point on its own because I also think Crew were absolutely awful because. Um, you know, and and as soon as they went two or three down, that was kind of it. But just coming away from that, going going to that game, I remember thinking actually a little bit, sort of, almost a little bit downhearted about the whole the way the season had kind of petered out almost, and sort of ready to to sort of report on a two nil defeat. I just really it really felt like that sort of day. The rain was pouring, um, and then coming away, it just it did feel like okay, well, playoffs are still out of reach however they're at least going to make a go of it yeah I don't that was a mental game like you said I think they even broke through like twice early on and missed really good chances so but yeah that was great it's so nice actually just being able to watch you know we talked about all the three twos it's nice being able to have games like that every now and then where you can just enjoy watching it after like you know (laughs) as soon as we went three up or whatever it was brilliant that Barker goal as well was just ridiculous. But for me, like when I'm not sure how much more it's worth reflecting because at the end of the day, we did get in the playoffs. So like all of this, it feels like chatter as if we didn't make it, but we did. It's just, <laughs> and like at the end of the day, you know, the top two were so far away really in terms of where they were at that, I don't know. I think we did amazing to get there. I think like we said earlier, that Blackpool at home, game the 2-0 they just made us look so average at that at that moment in time and I think it was a little bit frustrating that we didn't seem to learn from that for the first leg of the playoffs I think you made the point earlier James but they're also Northampton away like my god was that that was difficult as well but um otherwise I just I can't I think it's incredible that we managed to push through get the absolute most out of the team and the character shown, like we said, to pull off that many comebacks um, was brilliant. I think a lot of that is down to how KR is managing the team. I'd love to get more insight as to what like halftime team talks look like beyond what he did at Gillingham. But. Well, interesting. Yeah, well, everyone, the whole internet knows that, don't they? Um, yeah. The um, the Northampton one, interestingly, I, I, when you asked earlier about do you find it hard to kind of ask the difficult questions, that, that was a little bit of a low point of the season for me because that was the period where the B 
weren't allowed to ask questions live on air. So it was kind of Chris asking a couple of sort of half volleys and then it would go into me. And and obviously that's when Carl came out with all the, if you go into the lion's den, don't have oh. meat in your cricket stuff. <laughs> yeah, and, I remember. And I got completely, I remember getting, like at the time I thought I'd done a decent job and I listened back and I was like, you absolutely did not call him out enough on that because I just got completely caught up in all his strange analogies he was making. <laughs> I think Nathan does that. Like Nathan is quite good as well, isn't he? At asking questions that he thinks like Joe Bloggs, a fan from the Oxford Mail stand would ask or the Jim Smith stand, I should say now, but he's good at putting those questions to Carl as well. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? Is I, I cannot imagine that being, easy especially with someone with Appleton or someone who's a bit more reserved perhaps presents himself in a more kind of introverted way it's probably easier to just ask the difficult questions he'll take a bit of time before responding mm-hmm. whereas you get the emotion with Carl don't you and I, I don't think I'd be able to deal with that to be honest um so I don't, I, I don't envy you there at all but yeah that stuck with me that we definitely were talking a lot on the pod about the lines then mm-hmm. there was another one as well wasn't there I don't remember what the other Get get to sixty minutes at nil nil was that, that was, was, was the night oh, yeah that was painful. Oh, yeah. I didn't understand that at all. That's not against, against an incredibly poor Northampton side, but yeah. <laughs> two, anyway, two holding midfielders as well. Yeah, but as you anyway. say, we got in the playoffs. It didn't matter. In the <laughs> <of> things. <laughs> um, let's move on to the squad then. Um, so it's looking bare bones, isn't it? I think. Jack, you pulled together some kind of just view of all of the players at one point. I saw um, Mark from the UFC Analytics Twitter feed did something similar. Um, there are literally no wingers. Like It's not even just a joke anymore that KR just says, I need to sign four wingers. There are literally no wingers left um, beyond Joel Cooper, who may or may not return. Do you have any insight on that, James? He's He had an okay season. Family issues seem to be dealt with yeah i mean as far as i'm aware it, it's gone i obviously don't know the extent i think i knew a bit about what what was going on beforehand when it was bad i don't know how what's happened on that front now but it seems that he's generally happy and and yeah i mean i think the kind of it, it's sort of expected that he'll come back as an oxford united player in pre-season and has the chance to basically do it all again really but basically back where he was last July when he signed do you think he what were all the issues off the pitch playing in because KR seemed a little bit like he was you know the thing with Aji and the thing with Sykes it felt like Cooper was another one but maybe it was just mainly because there were things he couldn't talk about as to why he wasn't getting in the team but it still felt to me he was still being pushed a little bit to the side but the strange thing was with that is that I kind of came in after Cooper had sort of played his last game. I think it was at Walsall and I came yeah. in about a couple of weeks later. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think from, yeah, it, it was not a nice situation, everything that was going on off it. So I, I can completely understand if that was really, you know, clouding his kind of uh, judgment and, and distracting him really. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so things that have been done... Uh... Moose has signed a new deal as a player. Um, Sykes and Gorin, I think, signed new deals. But Jack, just on the Moose thing, because KR brought this up on the Wasn't at the Game show and suggested, yeah, he's going to, you know, he'll play. He's going to get ready to play. It's important that we, 
he's there to kind of mentor the younger players that are coming through. So, yeah, I've gone kind of one opinion to the other to the other with this. So when I thought heard we were offering him a deal, I thought, oh, good, he'll be around as experienced pro. We're probably paying in the Tim Pop surprise. Um, it'll be good to have about PFA, et cetera, et cetera. And then KR said that, oh, Moose is signed to play next season. I thought, what? And then he kind of caveated it with, oh, well, Luke McNally's coming through and we see Moose as a proper mentor for McNally. We want to pair them together in pre-season um, if they can play together in some of the cup games at the start of the season. I kind of came away from listening to that show on Saturday thinking, actually, I, I probably, I can I can buy into that. I, I can agree with that because McNally, as we've seen with uh, Sykes, White, Cooper, to some aspect, it takes them a little bit of time to get used to the adjustment. Granted, White, you know, played 40 game for us and then we sold him for a couple of million. Um, we've seen Sykes be up and down. Obviously, Cooper struggle, struggled. I think McNally is the youngest of those three I've just named. So he may be taking a little bit longer to adjust. It's been a strange um, season to come into anyway in terms of professional football and this kind of bubble effect. So yeah. I, KR sold me on that. However, if Massinho is to start and centre-back on day one in August, I will be concerned because it probably means one of more Atkinson has gone. So do you think, Jack, we're not going to... We wouldn't sign another centre-back? Not unless one of the two I've just said goes. I think we'll go with the four that we finished the season with, in effect. I I liked... I suppose Moose is still Moose, but he must be like 48 now. Like the, the thing I keep thinking back to is just that rotation of Dickie Moore um, and Moose as a, a trio, and they kept on rotating for either... There was any combination of two of them. Well, there's not too many combinations of two of them, but you know what I mean. <laughs> but you were kind of happy either way, right? Um, and I, it feels that's kind of gone a bit. Moose has gone to Asda to buy a new knee and... He's probably not going to be the same player, but I like you know we'll see what happens with McNally. I guess um, it's meant to be really tall, isn't he? Six foot four. Um, I, I imagine they've just whacked him in the gym um, for the last year or so uh, to try and bulk up, getting ready for the EFL. But we'll see. Um, John, what about where? What do you think will happen with kind of Gorin and Sykes into next season? Uh, I, I think they'll they'll stay and there's there's no I mean I, I think Sykes has been linked with Ipswich but I think they're just splashing the cash all over the place and seeing what comes up in a way it's um, all that Ed Sheeran money yeah well you know you tap into that sort of cash and you know you can they'll be in the, the Super League by five years time um, <laughs> but you know for me Gorin probably you know for me Gorin starts first game of the season um, so I think he's he's won firmly on the team sheet Sykes, yeah, it's a big season for him because if he stays, because he'll, he'll, I'm still not really sure where he fits in the team if the formation stays the same. I was really interested to hear KR talk about we're going to do a lot of work on a four a four two diamond over the summer, which suggests mm-hmm. two up two up front, which is jumping around a bit to sort of Adji and Winnell with Taylor and options like that, which is very interesting. But I'm still not sure where Sykes fits in overall. Um, so no, I think they're fine. Um, I'm just hoping you're not going to give me the Sean Clare question. So uh, I'm, I was going to ask James. <laughs> do you know what? I was I was going to ask James that because we've all had these debates 
But Carl on the, um, wasn't at the game show, was a bit kind of, you know, he was pulling a few punches. He was basically saying, look, if Sean Clare wants to play for Oxford, he needs to be telling me and he needs to be back here showing why. Um, and it, it, it did kind of suggest that it would be as a centre midfielder if if that was the thing, which, is, you know, it was well publicised. That's where Sean Clare kind of sees himself. But James, I kind of liked him as a right winger for like the three games that he played there. I thought he got a few assists in a few games, but I don't know. He has, It seems like he might have played his last game for Oxford. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree on the right wing. I think he played there at Portsmouth, didn't he, when, you know, results really weren't good and he did all right. Um, the centre midfield one, I think, is doubly difficult because if there's one position where sort of there are there is a fair sort of smattering of players at the moment, it is centre mid. You know, McGuane and, and obviously Brannigan, there's always going to be questions about if Brannigan's going, but with the contract he's got, you'd imagine that, you know... I, He's probably safe for one more summer, um, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the thing with Claire. If there was maybe a couple fewer players in in that position, you obviously also got Jamie Hansen, who's still got one one year left on this mammoth contract <laughs> yeah. that he's never going to. Um, that, that I just want him. I just kind of want him to leave. I know that's really mean. It just well, feels it, like the, no one's going to take him, though, are they? That's the thing. Yeah, that's the. It's the money, isn't it? Um, but yeah, if there was one or two fewer players in that centre mid position, I think I think Claire might have a future. That being said, you know, I'm not saying that that's not something I'm saying from any sort of insight. You know, he may well come back in and really turn things around. And and Carl thinks, oh, do you know what? He'll be a great option because you know, if there's one thing he does have, it's sort of energy. And I know, obviously, you know, if Hasselbank loved him that much, that's quite a good uh, pedigree in 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 that sense. Uh, you know. To, to kind of uh, quite a good person on your CV to sing your praises. So um, yeah, 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 yeah. Jack, what do you reckon about Brannigan? Then it was kind of touched on there by James. But do you? Do you I, I just don't see him as a championship player with where he's at. Well, I know that's a bit mean given what's happened to him this year, and he did come back and you know took that place away from Gorin. But I think. The problem that he's had is that every time he properly gets going, he picks up an injury. So there was last season around Christmas and the game we went to at Doncaster, I want to say, on New Year's Day, where he he came back into the side having not played for five or six weeks and seemed to be carrying a knee injury. And the second half of last season, he just seemed to struggle through, having been quite good for the start of the season. So we still haven't really seen a full season of him at his best I suppose um would would a a championship club take a risk and spend what I would assume based on the fact we've got a release clause is quite a lot of money this summer probably not maybe come January how old is he though he's like 26 isn't he now he just turned 25 in May oh did he okay but still I mean it's not not young young is it no yeah he's not he's not a one they probably take on for two seasons and flog for 20 million um but I, th- I thought it was interesting, KR alluded to on on Saturday on Radio Oxford, a bit of a hint that he sees Gorin and Brannigan almost as a rotation option in that defensive midfield slot. Because um, he said about, oh, well, Alex is more of a kind of... He basically said Alex is more of a dirty midfielder who hacks people down when he needs to, whereas Cameron's a bit more classy. Um, and he did suggest that those two help with the options of the four two diamond or the four, two, three, one, whatever else he suggested. 
Um, so I, I don't think it's a guarantee that we see both of them play together week in, week out next season, especially with McGuane having come in. This feels like a nice time to allow John to talk about rotters, as he likes to call them. <laughs> do, do you think, John, um, we do need to bring in... I, I was thinking about this, actually, in relation to our centre-backs, because I felt Jerry Yates um, and Sims did such a job on like Atkinson and Moore. Um, and Jerry Yates just looks mean. And they, there's just a few players across the league that just really, and it was, not, I think it was um, Eddie on wasn't it, the game, kept on noticing like every time there was a big hitter centre forward type thing against Atkinson, he was kind of looked a bit nervous and stuff. And he seems quite a introverted individual. And I just think like we need more of that shithousery through the team, but just also players that are there to just cause people problems, get their foot stuck in before anything else. And I like that you coined the term rotters. I just hope there are some coming in. I think first we want to know where you are on Sean Clare, because uh, that was the only thing we've ever argued about on this pod. And uh, are you having him back or not? Um, I, I would have had him back if we needed cover or some options as a right winger. I wouldn't expect that we'd play him centre mid, and therefore I don't think it will happen at all. Because one of the things why I wouldn't have him back if we could get rid of him was KR's point that he made a lot on Saturday was about power in the midfield. And that, for me, is a big thing we need next season. It's about, I think me and Jack had a similar view about the midfield all season hasn't quite functioned as a unit it's kind of individually had sort of fits and spurts, but I got very frustrated with watching countless teams and thinking, well, their, their midfield pair looks quite good. Or their player that's nothing special is actually out across the pitch all the time, kind of being in the right place all the right time. And I think if we're going to blend this sort of midfield of McGuane doing the kind of Shannon Baptiste dribbling type of role, Dorian yeah. or Brannigan doing the kind of breaking up creating, we need that third midfielder who is going to be a bit of an all-rounder who doesn't try Rotter. to do too much. Yeah, and he's someone who's willing to crunch people, get the ball, and then give it to McGuane as quickly as possible. And someone who's got high energy. And I'm not sure we don't have that player yet. And that's, for me, a big part of the, the jigsaw. And like you, you, you just need to be a bit filthy. I don't mean like ungentlemanly. Just a couple of players who are willing just to be a bit filthy. Um, just to not a gen- of, no, what on the scale of Jamie Mackey's finger? What are we talking? Well, Jamie Mackey's finger went off the scale. I mean, <laughs> you know, you could get arrested for that. Um, so, for me, it's it's in midfield. Like as you probably gathered, I like midfielders that crunch people and then and then play I do, passes. I do agree, though. Um, I don't know why it always comes back to me. When we played Lincoln at home on TV, where we actually, after the first 20 minutes, which weren't great, we played pretty well and definitely deserved to win. But the first 20 minutes, and notably the first five minutes, they just kept on walking straight through our midfield, if you remember. We were like, what's going on? Why is there so much space? They just kept on running. And then they they missed the first one, then they scored the second like a minute later. And we were just like... What's good is such a detached unit in a sense at times from like the midfield to the defense, and it it just never seemed to have the right balance like consistently through the season. But I, I'm really excited to see McGuane doing that role where he picks the ball up and drives, and he has to have he's going to have to build confidence early on, though, isn't he? To to like actually 
take up that role, James? Do you reckon? Like he's, it's, it's. I feel like all eyes are going to be on him. He's got the big contract. There's an expectation. I used to play for Barcelona. He should be able to do a little swivel and then run thirty yards up the pitch to create something. I, I also think people will quite easily, quite quickly forget his injury, and I think he is deserves a little bit of leeway at the start of the season, especially as according to sort of everything the club have put out, he won't even be sort of back to full training until, you know, the start of pre-season. So, yes, he might be on the same maybe base fitness level as the players, but he will have had six months after a career that has been very much in fits and starts. He he'll, he won't have played for six months. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm as guilty as anyone with McGuane. I remember watching, doing, covering one of the friendlies last season and I just thought this this player is in just the way he turned took the ball on the turn and, and like you say just drove at players I'm I'm as guilty as anyone is talking of talking him up but um I think he I think he's more likely to be the player that we all want him to be this season than not if that makes sense because he yeah. has it, there, there is everything there for it to happen I just think it yeah it might take a bit of time again I always wanted Sykes. I still believe, even though his numbers aren't great this season, that Sykes has it in him as well. Even he's got that slight frame and whatever, but he's he's a confident lad. And I just think there's still a player there. And I know Jack said it before, but he's one of them where if you sold him to Shrewsbury, he would just suddenly be a eight, nine out of 10 every week and be ripping things up. And he's. I'm glad that we kept hold of him for that reason. You just kind of don't quite know what you're going to get from him. But um, yeah, we'll see. What about um, outbound then? So Rob Hall is leaving, but there was some kind of weirdness. I think it was all very nice because he's such he's a good lad. But it was like, if he doesn't find something, he can come back. I thought football was meant to be a bit more brutal than that. But um, we'll see. Uh, Ruffles is probably the the talking point. Has he actually gone to, Was it, it was Huddersfield or Forest, wasn't it? Huddersfield are the ones that are. I don't think it's a secret for me to say that they're the ones in pole position. Um, yeah, they are very confident of getting him. Uh, but there, there were there are a few. I think I know of at least three championship clubs that potentially he uh, that that were interested in him. Um, I mean, as as far as it goes, he's still an Oxford player at the moment because his contract doesn't expire until June the thirtieth and. It's just he hasn't signed the new deal yet. I just think, based on uh, Carl's comments on Saturday, it's pretty clear he doesn't expect him to yeah. be a player. Jack, how how do you how do you feel about it? I feel like I should be more upset that he's about to go, but I can't quite get to feeling like that. I don't know why because he's a really likable person. He always interviews well. He's an Oxford boy. Etc. 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 But I, I've just never been convinced. Which seems really hard because he's played what three hundred games for us, had a good season last year, tacking wise. But I don't know. He's just one of those I've never quite taken to as a left back in the style that we want to play. Um, yeah. Which yeah, which seems very harsh because there's other players I'd want to lose ahead of him. But I'm not going to be as you know upset as I was when say Ledson went or Lundstrom or any of these players exactly um, yeah. I think there are good quality league one left backs out there who we could tempt with the budget we have um and 
I'd, I'd be willing to place a reasonable amount of money that this season wrap-up, this time next season, we won't be saying, if we'd have kept hold of Josh Ruffles, we'd have done this. Um, which is probably a bit blunt, but I, yeah, I, I'm just not particularly fussed. No, I'm, I'm the same. John, do you have anything to build on that? No, I, exa- exactly the same. I think it's almost an opportunity to bring in a different type of fullback if you compare to what Sam Long is. They're, they're actually quite similar in my mind in terms of, and actually, I've, I think 4 3 3 it's possibly always needed a, a sort of more attacker that bombs on a bit more, and neither of them can actually cross all that well. That might be perhaps being a bit harsh. So maybe you, I think you've got an opportunity here to sort of have a solid right back with perhaps a more sort of flying winger on one side and then the opposite on the other, as we've seen in the past. So, yeah, I, but, you know, you can't discount. I mean, how many late goals did he score? Kind of, you know, it's... Yeah, I feel like I'm being a bit of a dick, like, saying these sort of things. No, but, it, but it's... Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Um, I think everyone's in the same place, though. Like, Jack kind of took the words out of my mouth when you just kind of said, I'm just not... I feel like I should be more bothered, but I'm not that bothered. And But he, he is absolutely a great a great lad. Had... Um, some amazing times with us and he has the numbers look very good which is why I think there are teams looking at him in terms of a general kind of goal contributions but is he a natural left back not sure is his one-on-one defending there that's the key I think I think it's the 1v1s when he's in the championship I think I think there was a, a general consensus wasn't there but if he went up to the championship with Oxford he'd have a much better chance of hitting the ground running because it's obviously an environment where he's comfortable in and playing in a team he's comfortable in. I think it'll be really interesting if, when, probably when, <laughs> he does go. Um, you know, how how will he do when he's coming up in a new team against a new standard of winger and there'll be some seriously good players coming down from the Premier League in that yeah. division? That's where it'll be a real test. Yeah, Absolutely. And his pace was the other thing. Like I know he's he's not slow, he's not a slouch, but um, and I saw I saw loads of people arguing on Twitter, by the way, about Ruffles. Like <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw any of it, but I just like went into a thread and it was just endless with people arguing. Like oh, he's irreplaceable. It'll be so hard to find someone someone else to fit our model. Blah blah blah. I'm not buying that though at all. Like to kind of John's, but I think there's a way to get a balance across your fullbacks. Sam Long's developed, he's developed pace to his game. He can get up the pitch well and do the overlaps. And I felt like Josh kind of lost a little bit of that. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if we try and get a really pacey fullback. I always, I just, for whatever reason, I think the Marvin Johnson era, I just remember him as being this like wearing a cape and just like going up and down and doing, but people, I, whenever I talked to these guys, there was just like, the guy couldn't defend to save his life. Like, but I, I don't remember that. I just remember being really excited whenever Marvin Johnson was playing left back. So I don't know. He used to clear it with his heel in midair <laughs> rather than try and like kick it away like a normal person. Um, oh, you, you can't tell me it wasn't like an exciting time though, having that guy as a left back. It was, it was just, it, it was that team, wasn't it? It was Johnson at left back. Even Phil Edwards at right, right back, he was pretty solid, but he'd like to, he'd, he scored a fair few goals from full back, mm-hmm. didn't he? And, and then the players in front of, I mean that 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 team without going down sort of the nostalgic route road. I think Johnson was almost the perfect left back for that team because it was just they. I seem to remember they scored a lot of goals, didn't they? 
Yeah. Yeah, he got some good goals. I always remember that he scored away at Luton, didn't he, in the JPT semi and a few others as well. Ed, I always think of Phil Edwards. He scored in that game. It was away at Scunthorpe where it was so misty that you couldn't see the other end of the pitch. And I've never experienced that in my life. But that's what I really miss about football. I don't know if anyone else was at that. But yeah. what, you really miss Scunthorpe? or just I just miss yeah going to Scunthorpe, which is one of the worst yeah. away days possible. And then not being able to even watch the game and have to react to the opposition fans reacting to like what's happening from a corner, like oh, and you're like oh no, it was it was such a weird game. Um, anyway, uh, other people going out. There's no one else to talk about at the moment. Do you think um, James Atkinson and more? I think a few clubs were flirting around Atkinson, but they, we should be all right holding on to them. Yeah, I think Atkinson is very safe based on the contract and I, I know Bristol City and again this isn't this has been reported I know but Bristol City have been a bit put off by the valuation um that United have put on on Atkinson because I just think I, I mean personally I, I don't think he's quite ready for the championship no um, especially at a club like Bristol City who, you know if, if the season had gone on a bit longer would have been in serious trouble I you know I think so I think he's pretty safe. It's weird that Noel's talking about more, but he's he's always been one that I've thought that the lack of pace might stop him playing at a certain yeah. level because he has he's a very very seriously good League One defender I think, and he's turned into that after really a season and a half of of senior football. But yeah, I I think maybe that's the reason. Is it just the pace that stops clubs really going for him? Well, um. John, what do you reckon about the loan signings? So we've got Shadipo, Elliot Lee and Barker. In what priority order are you trying to keep hold of those guys? And do you think we are in the market? KR didn't really reference them when he was on the show on on the BBC show on Saturday. Didn't really talk about any of them. I think priority is a difficult one to ask. I mean, I'd take, I'd take Barker if we somehow didn't have to waste, a, you know, a lot of time and spend a lot of money on him because he he'll frustrate you all the time but he'll win you games that you weren't expecting to I'd rather have a winger that's kind of got a bit more presence um, and can do a bit more of a wider role in the team but I'd take Barker if he was available Elliot Lee I think is was a fantastic player and was coming into his prime Chaos suggested we spent a lot of money on getting Elliot Lee yeah. to the club so maybe that was that's, that's a, a factor Shadipo. It surprises me that though, given he was at Luton. Like I was just like, you yeah, know, who they've knows? Been in the cha- they've been in the championship for a couple of seasons, so I suppose their wages might have crept up. Um, yeah. Shadipo, I think, thanks for the memories, but there's probably better options out there. So I don't think any of them will come back though somehow. Um, and yeah, so I'd, I'd probably take Elliot Lee and Barker, but I don't know if I want us to put the effort in to get them as well yeah i saw um barker someone put a stat in fact there was some really good analytics shared in general just about league one as a whole i forget who shared it but um barker was basically created the second he had the best um or sorry second best chances created stats based on minute minutes on the pitch behind what's the guy at sunderland called jones is that a person (laughs) yeah that's a person he's the one that did Hansen. Um, Hansen, yeah, when we were up at their place and it was just horrible to watch. Uh, Jack, have you got any advance on what John said there? Uh, no, probably agree. I, I don't think Shadipo... 
this will come back to haunt me, but I think I don't think Shadipo will have a season again where he scores that many goals. His assists column for us was lacking. Um, Lee, I'd take, but if we're keeping Sykes and Henry, I think they're very similar players. So do we want all three in the squad? Probably not. Barker, yes, but it could be another Marcus Brown and we talk about him for the next four months and then say, oh, we might come in January instead. Oh, no, we might sign him back the year after. It's not worth chasing. If we've got other irons in the fire, I think we prioritise them. Yeah. No one's mentioning Liam Kelly. Do you not want him back, James? Oh, God, yeah. Well, considering he was phased... James, do you have any insight on what happened with him? Was it that he was... You probably can't answer this, but he was just doing well and everyone kept saying, ah, we always win when Liam Kelly's in the team. And then before you knew it, he just disappeared and was just in his normal clothes sitting in the stand. And everyone was saying... Ah, has he like reached a limit of you have if he plays more than X amount of games, you're you need to sign him or something? I don't. I mean, know. I, I I couldn't say for sure whether it was anything to do with that. I, I genuinely think towards the end of the season because I think he last played at at Sunderland or something, wasn't it? And after that, I think it enough players were back fit. I I genuinely think it was as simple as that because it was a very settled sort of eighteen nineteen at that point. Um, yeah, it was just. Uh, but yeah, I, I honestly I wouldn't know about the whole games thing. But it is strange, isn't it? Because he had I, he was absolutely fantastic in that first half against Doncaster, where there was one pass he played that was just mind-blowingly good, where he split about put the ball <laughs> through about four defenders, and Shadipo just caught up with it on the byline. So, um, you know, obviously I I wouldn't have him back because of uh, you know he just didn't play enough and and. There's the whole thing. Does he? What does he actually do in that team? But um, yeah, but yeah, I, I. That's actually one I'll chase up. So that that, that can be one of my summers. <laughs> one of my oh, stories just, to just, fill the long summer. He he seemed to go in reasonable terms. Like he po- he posted something on social media saying, you know, big thank you. It made me. I think he said like I fell in love with football again mm. after coming back to Oxford. So I thought that was really nice. So even though he wasn't involved in the last few weeks, he still was holding the club in high regard, which is always good. Um, other things inbound then. I've seen that Ryan, we can't fuck it up from here. Williams is looking like he might <laughs> be heading back. Is that got any legs in it? Is it, is it nearly a done deal? I don't know if anyone is, if that's been widely publicised yet, but I think it was talked about on by Jerome on Saturday. Um, Williams uh, has legs, I'll say that. Um, so yeah, I've, they offered him at Portsmouth like reduced terms, I think, didn't they, or something like that? Um, yeah, I think so- it, it, BBC or one of the Portsmouth journals was suggesting it. So yeah, I, I think I think Carl Carl suggested there's a player, an experienced winger, in for a medical this week, didn't he? Which if you put two and two together, you probably get Ryan. <laughs> Cool. Well, I can't really. If for anyone that any Ox fans that didn't get my little thing just there, it's because we were playing Wrexham in the FA Cup or something away, and he did well. And they interviewed him afterwards. I remember Dean Saunders was commentating on the game, which just nearly ruined my life. Um, but they interviewed Ryan Williams afterwards, and I think it was the season where Wilder had was he left, and we were doing well, and then it all just collapsed all around him. And then William said in that interview, when referring to the league campaign, like we couldn't mess it up from the position we were in. 
And then... So that that was actually sorry, because I, I was actually talking about this to Mark Edwards earlier. It was the the it was like the game before Waddock came in that he said that because yeah. um, I think at that point, even though things had kind of started to slide, I think there were still eight games left of the season, and what was it one 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 lost seven or something like that. Uh, was <laughs> it was that game. Well. He's 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 back. Try and like talk to him about that when you next interview, please. Try and be excited as well. Yeah. <laughs> um. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. The only other question I've probably got before we look at next year is who am I going to go to? John. What do you think happens with the strikers? Do you think we just leave it as it is, or do you think we've got someone else coming in? I think we've got to leave it as it is because. Unless Winnell's got a, a serious injury, or you know, which he almost gonna, certainly will. Yeah, but I mean, if he <laughs> if he's sort of showing signs that he's not going to be cons- consistent, then you might need to look at another striker. Adji's, in my mind, done enough to to say, you know, it's a big season for him, but he should be getting yeah. twenty twenty five games. If we're talking about, you know, looking at different formations as well, so I think you've got to you've got to roll with what we've got, and I don't know how you'd sell the club anyway with. Matt Taylor and Dan Adji and Sam Winnell to a to a, a reputable striker. So for me, let's let's throw the money at four wingers and a midfielder and some and a fullback. So I don't I don't think the strikers should change. Okay. Cool. So let's look ahead to next season then. And we referred to it earlier, like it's gonna be a crazy league. Like there's so Sunderland are obviously still there, Wednesday are coming down. You assume Ipswich with the Ed Sheeran money, aforementioned, are going to have a good go. Charlton, a Charlton, Portsmouth, a Portsmouth. Lincoln are probably going to be stronger, you'd expect. Um, Wickham, have, you know, they ended the season really well. They're always going to be pretty good under Ainsworth. Rotherham are a yo-yo team. MK Dons, what's their manager called? I always forget. Russell Martin. Russell Martin, that's it. But he kind of, you know, his total football approach seemed to be picking up some momentum as the season was concluding. Um, Steve Evans and Gillingham are always going to be a pain in the ass. Bolton have signed some good play. Who did they sign? Was it Sheehan, Jack? That... Yeah, from Newport. Yeah, that's a really good signing. Yeah, he looked really good. I think I think Bolton have got their um, shit together off the pitch um, and look with fans back in as well because I think Obviously, didn't really have a chance to kind of celebrate anything this season with fans. It'll be the kind of real first proper return of getting their club back in a way. Um, probably similar with Wigan as well, because they've had the takeover go through and they, I think they've signed a couple of players so far. Um, so I think, I think you've got there on the notes that they'll be in amongst it as well. And that's before you even think about anyone who was kind of half decent last year in mid-table. Yeah, exactly. Um, James, what do you reckon around the takeover or I'm not asking for any you know snippets of information or anything but I guess what what I'm really interested in is and I guess us as a group is is the takeover a thing Um, (laughs) like if it does happen where do the club want to get to and like do we need to evolve to that next level of the model as we like to talk discuss Um, the whole thing with kind of like Brentford Bournemouth um who's the other one that was kind of Brighton clubs that are at a similar like stature to ourselves, but have then gone on to that next level. And then Brentford, you know, the signings that I was talking about the other day, like um, Watkins and Ben Rama essentially selling for a combined fee of like 55 million. And then they sign Ivan Tony for six. 
Like they seem to have got something in motion and they're sustaining like, well, at least Brentford are sustaining that position, that push. And it's just like, do you think that's where we're going to need to get to? Because I, I can't work out if the fan base are going to be happy if we finish eighth next season. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, on, on the sort of takeover, I think it's a bit strange how it's going on because it is, it's it's a lot of talking basically. And, and when uh, it kind of emerged, it looked like it was going to be done and dusted, maybe not before the end of the season, but quite quite soon into the summer. Um, I do think it probably won't change a huge amount of things because obviously as everyone knows, you know, the people involved are generally already involved. And, um, mm. you know, it's kind of this increased transfer budget that Carl was on about, you know, that's with their blessing. You know, that's not just with, that's not like just Tiger saying that, that's the whole, the board as a whole, kind yeah. of making this decision as a whole. And, but I do think kind of going on to, to what you said about the, uh, the, the next season, I, I, I think it is a massive season. I It's a really exciting one, I think. And it it does remain to be seen whether anything gets sort of formally done off the pitch before it starts in August. But based on the way, as we talked about, the start has been the last few seasons, I, I, I think considering how the last sort of 24 months have gone and considering the strides that are being made off the pitch, it, it, I don't think people are going to be happy with finishing eighth. That's the thing. And I think it's a big season for, for Carl because... He, he still has three years left on his contract, but he's had two near misses. This The first one, you know, it was the best performance in 20-odd years. The second one was, well, look at how well we did in a season hit by COVID. Especially if he's got extra money, he doesn't really have that kind of, ex- not excuse, but do you know what I mean? There's He, yeah, he has every yeah. reason to be able to lead other than the competition in League One, to be able to lead this side uh, into the playoffs and, and beyond. Were you surprised by the timing of when the information about the takeover came out? Because it sort of it came out for however whatever method it did, and then kind of you know to the there didn't seem to be a logic as to why then did it surprise you it coming out then or. What just, how did you feel in that sort of time? Wasn't it, it felt coordinated as well, it's worth saying, from because it was like the Oxford Mail, BBC Oxford and The Telegraph or something mm-hmm. all seemed to just go at exactly the same time. So. Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, no one's kind of assuming that that is just a coincidence. Um, it, it, it was, yeah, without going too much into it, it did surprise me at the time because, uh, yeah, Carl had sort of made noises and things have been said about stuff going on off the pitch um but um but yeah it it it, it was surprising it felt like there was kind of a a reason behind it and i'm still trying to work <laughs> out and piece together exactly what's happened over the last two and a half months and what might happen over the next few months to know exactly why it was so urgent that it had to come out then um from a fan's perspective it's or it's mega frustrating because it's just yeah. like take over, take over. Oh my god! And then we're all going, oh my god, take over. Tell us more. And then there's like no. <laughs> it's just it's like, frustrating from my uh, level because because um, I I absolutely feel that. And um, you know, there's only so much you can kind of say 
obviously in my position and, and there's only so much you yeah. can say if nothing if nothing else has happened and if, if that is the genuine you know the truth that nothing else has happened you can't really can't really say anything else so it, that's why I think it will become clear hopefully in the next few months why it needed to happen but it's not quite clear yet <laughs> yeah bring on the Kidlington Stadium near yeah. Sainsbury's so Tony who contributes to the pod can get his meal deal yeah. as he liked to that was his main reason um Jack do you think anywhere outside of the top six is uh failure next year do you, do you think the fans will accept it I don't think they'll accept it but <laughs> given we've just named half the league as being in and amongst it I think it's a as we sit here now not having too many leads on players coming in apart from Williams and there was the hints at the left backs um, it's something that is perfectly logical to think could happen Um what what I'd I'd want us to be in and amongst it and properly pushing, but I I don't think we'll be good enough to go up automatically, regardless of who we sign. Um, but I think as a, as a fan, you want to be the same or improving on the previous season. So that would probably be consolidating ourselves in the playoffs and that's, then taking the lottery of it. That's the thing that terrifies me, though, because you get into the playoffs a third consecutive season after failing the prior two. The pressure suddenly, like, I just think it's a different kettle of fish. And especially the thing that hasn't bothered me about the playoffs this time around. And even, yes, Wickham was bad, but actually it was probably mainly because it was Wickham and Wickham and just the nature of the whole thing. And James Henry not passing. Um, (laughs) Sorry, not shooting. Um, But I just think, like, because of COVID and stuff, the fact we couldn't have gone to any championship games, that would have actually torn a part of my soul out of me, I think. Like if we if we were up the sea, did what Wickham did, and then just came straight back down, you didn't actually get to go any games. That would actually like ruin me in a sense. And so, like, I feel like I've got over all of that. But I think if we got there a third season, I feel like there'd be so much pressure on the club um, to go up. You don't want to be just that team that builds that reputation of just endless playoff campaigns that just end in failure. But John, what do you what do you think? Uh, I'm kind of relaxed about the fact that league will be a really good standard and I'm just kind of, you know, some of the teams this season were pretty average and, you know, it's frustration we couldn't have done a bit more, but I kind of think that it's kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty relaxed about it and, yeah, playoffs is probably the the realistic target, um, but we'll see where we, see where we get to. Yeah. Today. I mean, that's the sensible answer, isn't it, really? I think most, most, pragmatic Oxford fans would say like a top if you're in the top eight you're doing probably about the right type of thing I don't know James is that where you're thinking we're going to be yeah I mean that's the thing I like I say I, I said it was a massive season I'm not going to kind of go back on that now I do think it is big because of how it, it will look and uh, that's the thing I just don't think however good the season is and it, you, know, you never know it could be what we thought might happen this season and Oxford get 74 points and miss out. And, and suddenly that looks like a failure because you're missing out to, you know, an Ipswich that have just been taken over or, or Sunderland who obviously have all the resources they do. Um, that's the thing. I think, I think the way where, where everyone talks about where Oxford United are going, there's kind of, 
as an absolute base bare minimum, there's got to be a challenge for the playoffs. That's year. that's it, isn't there? You've yeah. got to be a contender for promotion ultimately. Yeah. There was a lot of um maybe reading too much into it, but perhaps there was a bit of expectation expectation management in what KR was talking about because he highlighted a number of things off the off the pitch at the club that sound all sounded tremendous. And I and I did believe what he was saying. Um, talks about the ethos of the club and the whole sort of if I left you'd just bring another manager in and they'd have to buy into the club and that is something that other clubs have talked about and always makes sense so if he's talking about we're investing in all these other elements to me it sounded like a you know we're going to kind of do the work off the other pitch but then we'll get into the debates around should we act more like a championship club and, and those kind of things so I think we just need to be patient next season as well um, yeah Okay, um, let's have a, let's briefly look ahead to the Euros. Personally, I'm delighted that we don't have to just go through the summer without any football because it's just ter- terribly boring, isn't it? I just can't deal with it. And there's only so many, you know, I, I will always read the Oxford Mail, James, but there's only so much I can take of just hoping that there's some interesting article in there that's not about, you know, someone the colour of someone's boots. Believe well me, I'll do, the same, I'll do the same thing every day. <laughs> <laughs> um so it's great the euros are there um jack let's start with you given you you're going to be in aren't you going to the croatia game jack yeah going to the croatia game i did have so tickets what... for all of them but obviously with covid they've had to reballot etc but yeah going on sunday what what are you thinking in terms of your kind of overall predictions for the for the tournament and then i want to get people's view i want a collective starting 11 is all i want out of this uh, so tournament, I did one of those predictor things where you do all the results. So I've got us losing to Germany in the quarters, sadly. Um, I don't think we'll even win our group. I think we'll get done by Croatia on goal difference. That's how precise I went into it. Um, wow. This is sad. I think I think France, for me, are the favourites. Um, but I think someone like Denmark are a team to watch out for because if they get out of their group, they've got a, quote, easier route later on so there you go there's all the nerdy bits um as for the team can i just say quickly because i'm never going to get an opportunity to tell the story again i i run a fair bit and i wanted to get some new shorts for running and i just wanted to get the cheapest possible shorts that had zip pockets and i went on ebay went on eminem i ended up on eminem direct if you know that shop and i ended up getting some denmark national team training shorts for like seven quid which i'm delighted with they're adidas zip pockets tremendous um but someone stopped me on the race course in york the other day a danish chap and he was like oh he just stopped. he was basically in the distance just waving at me dramatically i kind of ran past him and he was just shouting i was like me and i came back he was like denmark and i was just like yes denmark uh, and i for a bit i couldn't clock why he was saying it to me and then i looked down and then i ended up being like do i pretend that i'm part danish just to have a nice chat or do i move on anyway Sorry, it was. I, I went for the. Sorry, mate. I'm just wearing some Denmark shorts and then moved on. <laughs> anyway, start at eleven. Um, after the two friendly teams, I've got no idea what eleven he's going to put out. I I don't believe Maguire and Henderson can be fit, and if they start on Sunday, I'll be um, surprised. Um, outside of probably Kane, Rice. Shaw, is there anyone else that you can definitely say will start based on who got minutes? Foden, I suppose. 
Um, Stanley Stones didn't play at all, did he? Because of the Champions League. Yeah. So there we go. Yeah. If if it was me, like every single punter that calls into like Five Live or Talksport or whatever says the same front four. So they always go Kane, Grealish, Foden, Mount. Kane, Grealish, Foden, Mount. Kane, Grealish. Every single person calling in was just reeling that off with definitely Rice in one of the holding positions and then one of Phillips or Bellingham, I think, or someone else was in the list. Um, potentially if Henderson was fit. But I, I do love the idea of that front four, but Southgate's never going to do that in a million years, is he? I don't know. I don't I don't think that the three those three, Foden, Grealish, Mount, can be playing the same team against someone like Croatia either. Maybe against Scotland if you're going to take the game to them or maybe against Czech if you've already kind of won the first two. But... Um, Bellingham's a good shout. I, I've been really impressed with him. And for a 17-year-old, his ability and his adultness about him is insane for 17. Yeah. John, what about your general predictions for the tournament? Think can I have a good time? Um, John's gone, so I, shall I take that one? Has John gone? Yes. Didn't have to build a cot or something. Well, there's something to do with the cot. I'm still here. I'm He's still here. here. I can see him. I'm yeah. looking at him. I do have to go and move the cot in a minute. I can't see him. No, he's oh, right. That's weird. I get special exclusive access to John. <laughs> can you all hear me, though? I can it's hear not... you. Oh, okay. I can't um... hear him. Oh, I can't hear him either. John, just say words because I can hear you. And then I'll, um, I'll, go to, I'll go to these guys after that. I, I think France will be the favourites as well. But then I'll always go for Italy um, after England. I think Verratti, Borello and Jorginho are pretty excited. That's a pretty exciting midfield to me. And I quite want to watch that. Okay. This is so weird. For anyone listening, I can hear John. They can't hear John. It's all very exciting. Jay, <laughs> thank you, John. Um, John said that he felt Turkey were a shoe in for the tournament win, by the way, chaps. Um, James, what about your predictions? Um, I think in terms of the tournament, I, anyone that knows me knows that whenever England go into a major tournament, I'm always the really optimistic one and says, oh, I think this is the year. Um <laughs> And weirdly, in what is our first, our strongest squad probably since at least 2006, I'm suddenly, just because of the number of really strong teams that are in the uh, in in the running, I can't see us getting beyond the... I'd like to say we'll get to the semis, but I just, whatever whatever sort of route we take to the final, it's like if, if England do win the group, there's a potential of being France or Germany or... And then there's maybe a Spain in the quarterfinal. I I think this England team. I'm I'm a massive fan of the the kind of no fear. Uh, that's why I would play someone like a Bellingham, and I think Grealish has shown in the two friendlies. He's in my mind, yeah. Start. Um, but yeah, England wise, it's almost like my normal optimism has to be tempered a bit just by <laughs> the thought that we're not we're just going to get done over by one of the the real sort of grand yeah. old men. I think that's don't we end Jack? Don't we end up playing Portugal, Germany, or France early on? Even if, if it's yeah, at the quarters, if we win the no, if we win the group, we play the runner-up in there. In there, um... wow! So do you tactically want to come second? I or think you still playing the team that wins the group. No, you play someone different. It's the, it's not the most logical number of passes. Say... We could even go through in third um, if everything went belly up. So yeah. Okay, there you go. Right, let's leave that there. So 
that's our 22nd and final episode of this season, uh, which is only about half of what we got through last season. And I just realised, chaps, like our most listened to episode was our first one, which is quite disappointing, quite depressing, really. Um, thanks for everyone um, who listened over the season, though. We had over 15,000 of you there. Um, well, not of you, listens in general. I wish we had 15,000 people listening. Um, but yeah, all of the people that engage with us on social media, um, really appreciate it. And please share with friends, family, pets uh if we can get more listeners maybe we can finally get the lucrative sponsorship deal that we've been craving like animalities or something else um i noticed chaps i was looking at the stats for the year um in terms of where people are listening number 10 slovakia if you are one of the slovakian yellows could you get in touch um maybe we can get you some slovakian tip manor oxford united merch to you uh we also had some uae people listening I don't know where all these people are from. Australia's Matt is what's the guy called? I forget his name now. Uh, Matt Harris, I think it is. Canada's a guy called Tim Tim Andrews. But it's interesting seeing all the stats like when you actually look at it after the year. But there you go. We'll leave it there. Um, thanks, James. Do you enjoy yourself? Enjoy enjoy your debut. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, I'll be happy to come back on at any time. Excellent. Cool. Um, it'll be great when you're kind of back in the stadiums with all the atmosphere there and soaking it up. So it'd be great to get get you back on to get, you know, to see how the job's evolved, I guess, into next season. Hopefully it's going to be much more of a normal season as well. Um, thanks to Jack and John and um, everyone have a great summer. Enjoy the Euros. And when England are, chan- are crowned European champions, we'll be, we'll be back to preview the season. But thank you very much. Mm-hmm.